0: amen if you have your bibles this evening and you would turn them to matthew chapter 9 matthew chapter 9 will be starting in verse 14 and uh the title of tonight's sermon is here comes jesus right on time one of my older songs that i love i almost said one of my favorites but that's kind of lost its meaning at this point um The McCameys sang a song called Right on Time, and it talks about John chapter 11 and Jesus uh, as they sent for him, and that he didn't come. The Bible says that he tarried, and in that song, it uh, talks about uh, when all hope is gone and when the child of God is uh, feeling like they can't go on, there comes Jesus right on time, and so I'm not going to sing that to you because... I would not do it justice, but I want to read to you some of the lyrics. The road was Jesus right on time. Just hold on, my child, because he's not far away. And he knows your need before you pray. So when your feet are weary from the mountain you have climbed, look ahead, here comes Jesus right On time. And I think so many times in our life we struggle with God's timing. We think that He should work quicker. We think sometimes that He doesn't uh, respond at the rate of pace that we feel that He should. Uh, Many times when He is dealing with other people, we feel that He ought to speed it up. When He is dealing with us and our sin and being long suffering, we want Him to slow it down. But I want you to know that tonight that Jesus is always right on time. And that's because God doesn't operate in time and space like we do. He knows all things at the same time. He's all places at all times, and He's all powerful. And so we believe that God knows what you need before you ask of it. He knows what is going to happen. He is in control of what is going to happen. And we just have to trust Him. And as we've been going through Matthew chapter 9, we've been looking at this theme of Jesus has all authority and compassion, and how the world authority corrupts, power corrupts. But Jesus has absolute authority, but yet he is compassionate. And we looked here about these miracles that Jesus has been doing, proving that he is the Messiah. And we looked last week about how right in the middle of all these miracles, we see Matthew write his story of when Jesus told him to follow him. And we talked about how your salvation is the greatest miracle God will ever do in your life. He might heal you from a disease. He might give you buku's of money to spend. But the greatest thing that God ever has done for you is to save you and to keep you Saved. And so right here in the in all of these demon-possessed healings and, and many healed, and Peter's mother-in-law and the centurion's servant and the wind and the waves obey him. We see right here that Matthew talks about his salvation story. And tonight I want to continue on with this because Jesus continues to show who he is. But we see, I think, right here in the middle of this. A great warning to you and I. And so tonight we're just going to go verse by verse. And let's pray before we jump right in. Father, I thank you for this wonderful time of worship. I thank you, Lord, for the sweet spirit that has been here this evening and this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work and move for your glory. And Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege to be able to gather here. Lord, and I thank you for these individuals who have committed to come. And those, Lord, who wanted to, who weren't able. And So, Father, I just pray that you would guide your messenger tonight. Father, that you would help me to say what should be said. And, Lord, close my mouth to the things that should not be said. So, Father, I ask forgiveness. And I pray that you would bless our time here together. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, here, I want to show you tonight. The first thing is that Jesus has the authority To start something new. Jesus has the authority to start something new. You see, you could walk into the city of McLeansboro tomorrow as a taxpayer and say, I think we need to build a new city pool. And they're going to look at you and say, Now who do you think you are? You don't have the authority here. You're not in charge of this. You're not an alderman. You're not the mayor. Who do you think you are? But if the majority of those people voted to have a pool, you would have a new city pool. Because why? The authority is theirs to make that decision. If I was to walk up to you and say, I know that you have a million dollars in the bank, I would love a check for $975,000 written out to Jacob Gray and it make it cashable at any bank that you would like to choose, you'd say, that's my money. That's not yours. It's not your authority to tell me how to spend my money. And you would be absolutely right. But now, if your wife wanted to write a check for $975,000, or you did and you had the money, you could write it because why? It's your authority. It's the money that God has given you. And so, (laughs) excuse me, (coughs) excuse me, I want you to hear this idea of the authority To start something new. And so when we start here in verse 14. Jesus starts by saying. Then the disciples of John came to him. Saying why do we in the Pharisees fast often. But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn. As long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come. When the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." And so we see here that the disciples of John and the Pharisees have a self-righteousness problem. And tonight I want you to hear that. When God is at work and we're seeing all these miracles and we're seeing all these things that Jesus does and Matthew's talking about his testimony, you would think that these people at this time would be bringing more people to see healed, more people to see their life changed. But what happens is... They want to nitpick why Jesus' disciples don't have to fast and to pray like they do. Now friends, this is a dangerous taste to be in as a follower of God when you think that you are more spiritual than everyone else. When you feel that you're the only one... That is right with God. You're the only one that can pray. You're the only one that can sing in the choir. You're the only one that can teach Sunday school. And why aren't everybody else as spiritual as us? And what Jesus says is, there's no reason for them to fast right now because I'm here. But there is coming a day when I will not be here. And they will be fasting and praying and sacrificing and serving. And he starts this idea of putting new and old. And so we get this identity and this idea that Jesus is beginning a work that is not just focused on the Jewish people. That he is going to take this message, he's going to take these disciples who are apostles, he's going to continue to build them on the day of Pentecost, and he is going to send them out to all the corners of the world. And so tonight I want you to hear this. The greatest danger that you and I face when God begins to work If it doesn't include me, sometimes, sometimes we don't like it. Now, there's an old song, and and I'm not going to sing it again because I've referenced it a lot here lately. But it talks about that. When you, Christian, feel that you're the only one who can preach, the only one who can sing, the only one who can make decisions, the only one who knows what God wants, you're in a very dangerous place. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) <coughs> Man, sorry about that. Too much sitting out in the dirt this afternoon. But Tonight, I want you to hear that because when God begins to work, and you see this a lot with new Christians. Somebody gets saved. They get on fire for God. Man, they want to be at church on Sunday morning. They want to be in Sunday school. They want to be in church on Sunday night. They want to be in church on Wednesday night. They want to be in church on Tuesday night prayer meeting. They want to be in church every time there's a revival. And those of us who've been saved, look at them and say, that'll wear off. I was that way at one time. Oh, thank you, sir. That's what I'm talking about. Cough might be bad, but I'm liable to choke on this thing. And so everybody's like, I'm not doing the heimlich, let him go. We just sing about Beulah Lamb. But thank you. But it's very easy sometimes when God works in another church, when God uses another ministry, when God blesses another Sunday school class, when God blesses a different ministry, that something in us gets very jealous And what happens is John's disciples had followed him, right? They've got to be thinking, John baptized this man, right? How is this possible? Why are their disciples not sacrificing and fasting and praying like we are? But yet Jesus is teaching and training them to send them out. And so tonight I want to challenge you. As God begins to work in your life, be thankful. When God begins to work in the lives of people around you, Be thankful. Friends, never forget that you and I are just at our best sinners saved by grace. And so I might not always agree how God works and how God is doing things and how God is pouring out His blessings and and how God is using different people, but I should be thankful that God is still at work. Now, I know what you're all saying right now. We're all on the same team, pastor. It doesn't bother me at all. And I'm guessing that you're not being completely honest. Because I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like standing up here and preaching a 32-minute sermon, right? A 37-minute a, a sermon sometimes, let's be more honest, right? And it just looks like it falls on deaf ears but right? I want God to work and to move. I want people to be saved in the lobby. I want people to be saved in the library. I want people to be saved in the uh the the lunchroom, but we don't call it the lunchroom. It's uh uh whatever the room that we eat in is. Uh. The Fellowship Hall, yes, you'd think that's the one room I would remember the name of it. But uh, that's what I want, and so every Sunday when I leave, if someone's not saved, I'm thankful that we had church, I'm thankful that we've worshipped, I'm thankful that we've been together, but I think, man, I sure would have liked to see someone saved. And and that's how I feel. And, And then when I hear from other churches that, hey, we had seven people saved this week, I'm thinking, hallelujah! But then I always say, boy, I wish that was happening here this Sunday. And sometimes I think it's with the right motives. But sometimes, can I tell you, it's probably not. Sometimes it's probably like, oh man, I wish I could have had that story. And God has to remind me, Jake, I do the saving, you do the preaching. Right? I do the moving with my spirit, you just show up and be faithful. And so in your life tonight, I want to challenge you that when God begins to do great things, it is His authority, not yours. Second thing I want to show you tonight is that Jesus, even though his authority was great, his compassion was amazing. Look what it says here in verses 16 through 22. Excuse me, no, 18 through 22. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay hands on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him. And so did his disciples. Now I want to stop right there. Because this religious leader, this ruler, most likely would have been someone that was in the camp that hated Jesus. Most likely, we don't know for sure, would have been someone that was uh, probably a Pharisee or a Sadducee, someone that had great position. And most likely, this person would have been against Jesus. But friends, when your life falls apart, it is amazing how the hardness and anger toward God, God can take it all away. When it's your child that's sick, when it's your marriage that's falling apart, when it's your job that could be canceled, when it's your life that's falling apart, it is amazing how God uses those seasons of brokenness to humble us and get us in a place where we have to say, God, I need you. I believe that's why God allows most of us to go through the trials and tribulations that we go through because most of us are too prideful to come to Him in the good times. Most of us, when God is blessing and working and moving, we're thankful, but we also are prideful. And so when God gives you that diagnosis, when God gives you that phone call, when God gives you that betrayal, it's it's in those moments that we see, not only in Scripture, but in our own life where we run to God. Where we call out to him. And so I want you to see that. That this person has been brought to a point of need. Jesus begins to make his way. But listen to what happens. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind. Touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself. If only I may touch his garments. I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her he said. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Now, I am not God, but you would be thinking he's on a mission, right? He's going to go to this girl's house. He's going to raise her from the dead. I mean, that's, that's on his mind. But yet, he was powerful enough... He was amazing enough. He was compassionate enough. When this woman who had been totally hopeless. Totally would have spent everything she had over the course of her life. Trying to fix this problem with earthly doctors. I'm sure with everything possible. When she touched the hem of his garment. He was able to heal her. And friends even when you think. That God is not paying attention to the situation that you are in. Jesus knew who touched him. Jesus knew who it was. Even though you can tell by the nature of this language. That it wasn't something she did. She didn't run out in front of him. As he's walking down the street and go. Jesus heal me. No I'm sure she was embarrassed. I'm sure that she had this struggle. And so as she just touches the hem of his garment. Wanting to be healed with no one else knowing. Healed with no one else causing. A scene. Maybe she was even afraid that if she asked, he wouldn't. We don't know that. But all she did was touch the hem of his garment. But yet the love and compassion of Jesus made her well. Friends, tonight you need to be reminded of that. We serve a God who is compassionate. A God who cares about not only you, but the people that live around you. The people the world has said have no value. The people that the world have given up on. We serve a God who is compassionate and graceful. It goes on here and says in this passage of Scripture in verse 23, When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. You see, we understand that at this day and time, like we looked last year, that a funeral time period could last up to a year. It's a big spectacle. They'd had mourners and flute players and all of these things. And Jesus shows up. And he just tells them, she is not dead, she is sleeping. And those next three words are very significant. They ridiculed him. Why do you think they ridiculed him? One, because they naturally thought she was dead. Two, most likely this ruler and his family had already talked about Jesus, right? If he was a religious leader, if he was a religious ruler, and he had not wanted Jesus to be doing what he was doing, what I can tell you is, my problems very rarely stay my problems. When I go home, if it's not church related, I try to tell my wife, it's been a rough day. It's been a long day. I try not to tell her anything about you all because I want her to come to church and like you and not have to fight through that like I do. But anyway, that's another sermon for another day. So if you come up to her and ask her, what's going on at church? She's going to be like, well, I don't know, sermons are pretty bad, but the music's good, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but that's important to me. But I'm sure this family had talked about this. They, they had talked about all the things that Jesus had done. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it real? Is it not real? And here he comes. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you know that your family member is dead and someone walks up to you and says, they're only sleeping, you probably wouldn't take that very well either. You wouldn't take that well. Why? Because up until this point, this is a new thing. This is something that is very rarely, if ever, happened throughout the Scriptures. And so here we are in a world that... Looking at the natural, looking at the situation Looking at the hopelessness And a man shows up and says That child's not dead She's just asleep And we know that Jesus healed her And God did something because of his authority And his compassion But look on, it just continues this theme Of the compassion and love of Jesus In verse 27 When Jesus departed from there Two blind men followed him Crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they departed... They spread the news about him in all the country. I want to stop just here for a moment because this verse, this text, is causing more trouble in the church than almost any text in the New Testament. And this is why. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God gives us faith, but yet faith is something that we exercise after God gives it to us. And so there is a group of people that have taken these verses to mean if as long as you believe it and you claim it, God must do it. We call that the word of faith movement. And you see these television preachers that that preach about money and wealth and all of these things that God never wants you to be sick. If you've ever watched uh, uh, Kenneth Hagin, he I believe he's a false teacher. I believe he does not teach what the Bible teaches. But a few months ago, he, he did a documentary on how he was blowing the coronavirus away from America. And it was weird. It was confusing. And he made a prophetic word that the coronavirus was going to vanish, that nothing else would happen. And uh, all he would have had to say was an election. But anyway, um, but that didn't happen. And so, But that was his mindset, that he claimed it, he owned it, it had to happen. And friends, I believe that God gives you the faith that you need. I believe that God honors your request when you ask for things. But I do not believe it is because you have superhuman faith that God has to do anything. I believe He is gracious and merciful when His people pray. He honors that faith that He has given you and that you exercise. But there will be times when you believe something that God will say it is not best for you. It is not best for you. Like Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, said, if I would have prayed and got what I wanted, I would have had seven husbands before I met Billy. Right? Because she prayed every time she fell in love. Seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade. If you're like me, you were the only kid at Dauker in the fourth grade that already had his driver's license, so I was praying for that earlier. (laughs) That's just a joke, right? Always make fun of everybody else. I'll make fun of me so you don't get angry tonight. But why? Because we pray selfishly. God pray, God works for what is best for His glory and how He can use it. And friends, there will be times when your life is falling apart and God is holding you and carrying you and working in your life and the world is much more blessed And God is much more glorified by being with you in that than if He was to change your circumstances. There will be other times when God will heal and God will work and God will move because that is what He knows will bring the most glory and honor to Himself. And I have to be okay with believing that God can do anything and trusting what He does. And in this passage of Scripture, He heals these two men. It goes on in verse 32 and says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But don't miss it again. Here's the self-righteousness. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. You see, they should have been celebrating... That the demon-possessed man had been set free. The blind had been given sight. The girl who they thought dead was now alive. They could have been thankful that the paralytic had been made well. They could have been thankful that the centurion's servant had been made well. They could have celebrated that Peter's mother-in-law had been made well. They could have celebrated the multitude of people who were healed. But they didn't! They were only worried... That everybody else recognized that God was doing something that didn't include them. Don't miss that tonight. Because friends, that's where you and I will get in the most danger. When God appears to be doing something and I don't feel included. Friends, it'll make you bitter. You say, well, Jake, what about that guy at work? He's lazy. He doesn't work hard. But him and the boss, they go out drinking and partying and running around together. He misses work all the time. And he's got four promotions. And I've not got any. See, that jealousy begins to work. And that's not even a spiritual issue. Then you begin to ask questions like why and how. And and those are valid questions. But friends, it is one thing to ask God why. It is another To be jealous about God blessing other people and not you. (laughs) This is a comical one, okay? Because no one wants to address really difficult things. As you know, and I don't hide it, I have a hair loss problem. I think it's evident to see that my forehead is a five head. If uh, you see me through the week and I bend over, you're liable to be blinded by the shine of my bald spot. But on Sunday mornings... I get up, get my hair powder out, just pour it on real thick, right? Usually gel my hair so that every little hair is covered every little spot. I'm combing it from back over here to over here. And then I get up and after the service is over on Sunday afternoon, I watch it and all I can see is forehead. And then I see some of you people who are a whole lot older than I am. A whole lot more sinful than I. I know it's true. And you walk in with enough hair to make you and me a wig. Now, I don't really get jealous. Maybe just a little bit from time to time. When my kids will say something like, Dad, if your head wasn't so big, it wouldn't take so much hair to cover it. (laughs) But friends, how many times do we do that? The neighbor down the street, they just bought a new house, a new boat, a new camper. Oh, they, they just, they inherited $17 million from a great aunt they didn't even know they had. And here I am putting up with my family. They're terrible. And they ain't got no money to leave me. But friends, I'm telling you tonight, when it comes to spiritual things, now don't miss this. It is God who produces what? Spiritual results. It's God who produces spiritual fruit. And if God is choosing to give an abundance on someone else's tree, be thankful. Be thankful. It's not your job to chop down someone else's tree. It's not your job to go take the fruit off their tree and put it in your bushel. Friends, I'm telling you, if God is at work in someone's life, if God is at work in a church, if God is at work in a family, leave them alone if you can do nothing else. God will sort it out. God will take care of it. I have seen so many families. God will be working. God will be moving. God will be doing great things. And someone will be like, Did you see her dress at church? Did a little bit too short, wasn't it? Oh, did you see her haircut? Yep, just a little too much modern for me, too much color. I believe your hair ought to be the same color that God gave it to you, but there's a whole lot of people that applies to it. It's not purple and blue either, all right? Or how many times does a a family take a new Sunday school class and start teaching it? Well, (laughs) he's not as good as my last one was. Friends, in those moments, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you trust God to be fruit inspector. You trust God to give the increase you just be faithful to continue to do what God has asked you to do. And watch what he can do. Now I'm going to finish here and I'll be done this evening. Starting in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes. Here it is. He was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest you see jesus didn't say he was compassionate he was moved and it's my job to take care of everything He says, pray to the Lord of the harvester to raise up what? Laborers. God could do everything on his own. He does not need you and I. But he gives us the privilege. That is why I believe that there should be young men being called to preach. I believe there are young people who should be called to the mission field. I believe there are people who should be answering the call. To do this and to do that. Why? Because if God truly has an abundant harvest. He is not going to stop calling laborers. But I do believe. That there are a whole bunch of laborers. Who don't want to labor. The worker shortage is not just out there. It's in the kingdom. How many of you have read somewhere. Or saw something here recently where. Everybody's hiring and no one wants to work. And how frustrated you feel, right? Now I want you to know how the pastor feels all the time. Got 37 opens in the nursery. I guess Sunday I'll go in there and do it. Man, we got vacation Bible school coming out. Best outreach we've got. Man, we bring kids and we share the gospel with them. We pray for them. We love them. Man, everybody ought to want to work in something like that. You got two ladies out there wearing a hula outfit trying to get people signed up this morning. I'm thankful they were wearing that and, you know, I was glad. I'm glad. How many times, right? Boy, we really need someone to open God's word and teach a new class or to be a Sunday school teacher or to go on a mission trip. You feel like God's leading you to that? Well, I sure do, Pastor, but I'm so busy right now. I've got 37, 37 dogs to take care of, 42 kids, a, a monkey and a gorilla. and You know, I just can't. I can't get away right now. Or, Pastor, we're just so busy. We've got so many things going on. We, But, friends, what God has called you to do is be a laborer. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is no reward for unemployment in the family of God. Your salvation is a gift, but every believer will stand before God one day and be rewarded for the works that they have done with the gifts that God had given them. And friends, you should want to have as many works possible because you know what you're going to do with those? All the works that God uses you to do, one of these days, you're just going to lay them at his feet. You know why? Because you didn't deserve to be a child of God. But yet he lets you. You didn't deserve to worship God on a regular basis. But he lets you. You didn't deserve to be called a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, A missionary. You didn't deserve to be called a mom. Who was going to raise your children. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But God in his grace and mercy. Allowed you to be. And one of these days. When you see all that God has used you to do. All you'll be able to do is say. Thank you Lord. For the privilege. Of doing what you've called me to do. Most of you have no contentment in life. Because you're not where God wants you. Doing what God has created you to do. And so tonight my challenge to you is this. Are you willing to take a step of faith. And do what God has asked you to do. It might look different than anything you've ever done. It might be something that you never wanted to do. But you know that God is calling you to do it today. That's my challenge to you. Because if God has the authority to start a new thing in Israel. He has the authority to start a new thing in your life. A new hope. A new joy. Tonight if you're here and you're not a Christian. God has the authority to start a new relationship. With you. Through Jesus Christ. Tonight if you'll repent of your sins. And call upon his name. He will save you. And he will save you completely. But friends he will be with you. No matter what he calls you to do. Even in his service. And so tonight. Pray with me. As Jamie and Janice come. Father, I thank you so very, very much for your word. And Lord, I pray that we've just looked at it, what it says and not what I say. Father, tonight I pray in this congregation, first and foremost, for those people that are lost. That don't know you. For whatever reason, whatever excuse tonight, that your Holy Spirit would begin to convict them tonight, Lord. And show them that you love them, that you died for them, and that you want to save them from their sin. Father, tonight I pray that you would do that because only you can. Father, I pray tonight for those people who know that God, you have called them to do great and mighty things for your name, but have put everything else ahead of it. Everything else has become more important tonight that you would show them that they are privileged to be serving you and to give them a new vigor and excitement for doing it. Father, I pray for our church that you would help us to stay humble Help us to stay thankful, God, when you're at work, even if it's not here. And to trust that you're doing great things. Father, I pray that you give us a spirit of love and humility, and unity. That Lord, we can not only worship together, do business together, serve together in a way that honors you. So, Father, tonight I pray that as this time of invitation begins, that you do a great and mighty work for your name and your name alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please... Reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.